The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. I love to highlight people who aggressively pursue their passions. And it's really the whole premise of this show. Because I think too many people sit around daydreaming of experiences that they wish that they could have. And a lot of people become unwilling to chase those things because of their individual circumstances or because of what they do or do not have. But for others, the call of what they're passionate about is too strong and they make a way. And today's guest is Elliot Totten. And he goes by 239Tarzan on Instagram. And this dude lives a wild lifestyle. And this is an example of a young guy that has refused to accept the idea that these dream trips and experiences are beyond his reach. Elliot's an angler native to Southwest Florida, and he's demonstrated time and time again the ability to do more with less and put himself in front of monster fish. And you set a high bar with a nickname like Tarzan, but this guy lives up to it. And as an angler, he tangles with some monster fish like tarpon and goliath groupers, sharks, and all kinds of giant fish, a lot of the times from something as small and humble as a canoe. And on land, this guy's taking on pythons and other wildlife, running around the bush just trying to see what he can get his hands on. But still, the wild lands of Florida haven't kept Tarzan contained. Because this is a dude, even at his young age, that has already traveled around the world on a creative and humble budget. And he's gone to places like the Amazon rainforest multiple times, Iceland, Indonesia, the Komodo Islands, Sumatra, and different landscapes around the United States. This is just a guy that you don't want to miss. Absolute energy and a great storyteller. And we talk about trips to the jungle, wrangling king cobras, bat-eating pythons living in caves, being mugged by orangutans, and going mono e mono in a no-holds-barred match against an arapaima in what was probably one of the best fishing stories I think I've ever heard. But still, you hear people with these stories, and it's isolating. It's just hard to relate. And I think for too many, it's easy to sink back into your life and think, well, I can't do that, or that's not in the cards for me. So in this episode, we address that. We address the sacrifices that Elliot has made in his life in Florida that have enabled him the ability to go and do these far-reaching trips. We talk about how he budgets 
how he cuts costs and how he stays minimal in day-to-day life so that he can save up for these kind of adventures. Ellie is just awesome. And beyond all the fluff of the adventure stories, he really just keeps it real in this conversation because he highlights the highs and the lows. And we go real deep into just how bad that these kind of adventures can suck and why you should expect to run into some real problems. This is a somewhat ordinary guy living an extraordinary lifestyle. And we find time during this conversation to tie those two worlds together so that hopefully you can come away with some kind of motivation for how you can make dream trips reality. This is 239 Tarzan, Elliot Totten. Uh, It was a little shaky there at the start, all because I didn't realize simply turning up the volume would help. But um, those tend to help. But uh, well, anyway, dude, it's cool to get you on here. It's like that's part of uh, the excitement of doing this podcast thing is like there's so many people that I follow and scroll. It's like, you know, you learn who people are by sitting on the shitter and scrolling. And you get this like glimpse into portion of people's lifestyle that's so fascinating so interesting but then you wonder like what does the person like on the other side of that and and your page is like one of the ones where i'm like dude this dude is a freak so now you go by this there's so much there's so much more too than like what you see in the instagram posts like everyone sees like the fish picture or they see like oh like i went to that cool place but it's like you do not know what led up to that picture (laughs) well you're this dude with the nickname 239 tarzan so tarzan (laughs) like you can't proclaim to be no tarzan and like have some have some i don't know content some things that are not that impressive but like you got long hair you're running around out in the jungle with no shirt on swinging from vines and playing with monkeys i'm like what in the world is this guy? And I kind of realized like 239 Tarzan, that being the area code that we both live in in Southwest Florida. But looking at your stuff, it's like, dude, you, you're you're about to the point where you're going to have to drop the 239 because you have taken yeah. this passion for wildlife and for fishing. And I want to get to which one came first because it seemed very interchangeable. And you've like, you've taken it to this like global level. So I guess I guess that's the first thing I'm wondering is like okay, where like where did the passion for the wildlife start? Were you a fisherman first, or were you like this guy that's wrangling pythons and alligators and surfing and climbing and doing all that <laughs> side? Like where did all this develop? Well, all right, straight up, it it's uh it develops with from my parents. Um, like I'm <laughs> I'm I, I have often had teachers like back in high school. They'd be like, Elliot, like, what is your deal? And then they would like meet my parents. I'll never forget my math teacher once at like a open house talking to my dad. And just she was just completely confused by him. Because And she turns, she goes, this is your dad? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, it all makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my parents are both super outdoorsy and super adventurous. I always like to, I always like to tell people that when my mom and dad met, my mom had just gotten back from teaching and living in New Zealand and like hanging out with like the Maori tribesmen. And she came back and met my dad who was just getting off of like two and a half years of touring as the lead singer and lead guitarist of a hair metal band all around (laughs) the Midwest. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) but they both had this real passion for the outdoors. And so ever since I was a little kid, I was camping, I was hiking, I was doing all sorts of stuff. I always tell people uh, on my kayak tours that I'll give 
Um, I would say I was literally born into this because I have photos of me in a kayak from before I have memories, like sitting in my dad's lap, like holding up a snapper. And like, that's like five years before I have my first memory, you know? So I, I always was exploring, always was traveling. My parents, again, like I, I, I bring them up because like, I owe them really everything. Like my parents are awesome. Um, and we traveled a lot. We did a lot of cool stuff and it was, I always was interested in fishing, but like not, I sucked at it always. Like when I was a little kid. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did, I do have to give a little shout out to the legend that I'm sure everyone has been inspired by, but Jeremy Wade, I would watch river monsters mm -hmm. and like my cousin who I've done a lot of my trips and traveling with, like we, he's from Wisconsin and I would, we'd watch the episode. We're like in sixth grade and we'd like call on the phone and we'd like walk around our houses pacing for an hour the night after the new episode being like, and then we're going to go to Bolivia and we're going to catch this giant stingray. Like, which is just <laughs> crazy. Cause now I'm doing this stuff. Yes. Um, but I would say the, where it like went from like, Oh, outdoorsy kid was to like this craziness was probably, um, high school. I went and I remember the fish. It's, if you go to like the bottom of my Instagram, you can actually find it. There's a picture of me with like a black drum. And uh, I went with my dad and I was like, oh, like, let's go fishing. I caught this black drum, which to me at the time was a giant. Like it was like crazy. Looking back, it's probably like 18 inches long or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and um, so, and that just kind of did it. And I just kind of kept going from there. And then a few weeks later, I went out in my kayak and I caught and landed by myself like a 30 inch redfish. And the, the weird thing about growing up where I'm from, for people who are listening, I'm from Marco Island, Florida, born and raised, one of the few that can say that, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was like, it, it's hard to explain because I feel like I also have family in Wisconsin. So I, I've, I've, I've traveled a lot. I've been, I've lived for short periods of time all over the U.S., a lot of the United States and a lot of the world, fishing's like a hobby, right? It's like a, mm -hmm. oh, like it's Saturday, let's go to the lake, you know, let's go cast. I love to fish. Whereas, like growing up around here, fishing is is like it's like a social thing. Like your social status would go up in high school, like as you caught the bigger and crazier fish. So, like I I just kind of got into that mindset, and I quite frankly I sucked. For a very long time like i the amount of effort i put in when i was younger to like the output of quality fish i caught was absurd like i look <laughs> back on it now and i'm like <laughs> like i'm like that is crazy like i would fish like six months and then i'd like catch a 30 inch snook and i'd be like oh my god yeah i'm that guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now like i don't even take a picture of like a 36 inch snook i catch i'm like yeah. oh yeah um but i was into it and then it just kind of kept getting more and more intense. I have a very like obsessive personality mm. in everything I do. And so I really just kind of kept pushing. Um, a big thing was when COVID happened, when like the shutdowns happened. Yeah. Um, I, I all of a sudden was unemployed and didn't have to go to school anymore. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I fished something like 65 nights straight. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> also like uh back then they were shutting down the boat ramps right but i do all my fishing out of a canoe and so i can just drop a canoe over a seawall and so all of a sudden i like like the world was mine like i was like the king yeah so i went <laughs> i went really hard then um 
But even back then, it was always fishing. Like fishing was the thing. I always had an appreciation for all wildlife. Um, but it wasn't until I actually met my friend Dylan, who you obviously yeah uh, just recently just recently well. had. Yes, um, I met him, and the story on me getting into reptiles is kind of funny. Um, because you know, a lot of times when you're in this outdoors um, fishing community. People will meet and they'll be like, hey, let's fish sometime. Let's hang out sometime. And they have no interest in getting to know you as a person. Yeah. Or like being friends with you. They just want like your spots, right? Yep. And like, I know that. So me and Dylan started messaging each other on Instagram and we just cut to the chase. We were like, he was like, I catch chameleons. And I was like, that's really cool. I want to go catch chameleons. And he was like, yeah, but you catch these like Goliath grouper. And like, I can't seem to catch him. I was like, all right, straight up, like, spot, like, like I will put you on, you put me on. And we did. Yeah. And so we went out. I caught the chameleons, and I was like, whoa, this is, like, fishing on land. Like, this is yeah. crazy. <laughs> but um, and then I went and took him. We caught a bunch of Goliath grouper. And, like, like also, we were like, hey, like, actually, like, you're kind of chill. Like, you want to just do this again? And they were like, yeah. And then yeah, I yeah. fished with him, like, three times a week in, every, ever since. Um, but I got into the chameleons. And then I started catching pythons and I've always been into like wildlife. I've always been into like grabbing anything, but it's hard to interact with a lot of wildlife. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's really easy to like, say, go to Yellowstone, right? And you can see bison, but like, that's where, that's where the relationship ends. You see it. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're fishing, you can, um, like it's, you're chasing it and then you fight the fish and then you catch it and you're actually able to like, hold it or like hold part of it if it's a big fish <laughs> and uh yeah <laughs> and so i and then i realized reptiles were like another version of that like people ask me like why do you like snakes so much and i'm like i don't even really like snakes that much but they're like an awesome animal that like to catch them i have to go on these crazy adventures mm -hmm. and i love the adventures so that's kind of where it is yeah it's it's interesting there's definitely the herping stuff is something that i don't know man i maybe i'll start linking up with you and dylan now, actually when when he and i met in person it was the same thing it was over chameleons although i've not repaid the favor i he hadn't benefited from me at all like we haven't fished or anything <laughs> i can tell him like dude i don't like but the, the but the thing with dylan is like he's already caught everything i'm like I, there's nothing oh, i can yeah. offer you you have already caught it all but um but i uh, i agree it, it is kind of funny though like the the herping or looking for reptiles thing is like, I think it's just the thrill of the pursuit. And it's like tapping into that primal <laughs> element of our like desire as men or as human beings to like hunt and search and solve problems and solve puzzles. And I guess fishing offers you the same thing. It's like you have to have an instinct. You have to have like a, I don't know, an idea on where you might be able to find this creature. And it's like you're simulating. I don't know whether people realize it or not. It's like you're sort of simulating the ability to like hunt and gather, if that makes sense. It's like, I don't know. It's oh, like, yeah. It's, I, it's caveman mode. That's what, it's what, that's what it is. I think you're speaking to that spirit that we have. And some people, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a more intense feeling. But um, it's funny how you mentioned that, though. Like when you think about, as anglers, and I guess it's not the same down here in South Florida, you know, you hear about Florida, man, everybody's about the wild and crazy and big creatures, but 
you know, I grew up in like the interior of the United States. I am a transplant and I come from states where there aren't, there's big, crazy fish, but for whatever reason, it's like you have people who fish and then you have like diehard anglers. And it's like, there's like different levels of it as you've seen. And you're clearly one of the ones who's like transcended beyond these like parameters I've noticed the same thing in fishing. It's like, okay, you're a fisherman. So it's like, you have to exist though in these like specific boxes or you're like, I don't know. It's like, what are you doing out there? Like, what are you some kind of weirdo? It's like, if you're going to fish, that's cool, but you got to wear certain attire. You have to fish for certain species. That's the big one for me. Like you have to, it's like, you have to, you do it, but you have to stay within the box. You can enjoy animals, but whoa, what are you doing playing with? venomous reptiles what are you doing with you know what i mean so there's definitely people who like break through that and i always get interested in them it's like that's not everybody who does that and then you wonder about the parents i it's funny you mentioned your parents because i had no idea i like look at a guy like you with the with the long hair and all that stuff i'm like he's got to be like the black sheep of the family i'm like i bet that his parents are probably like business people who are prim and proper and he's just like the guy that went crazy but um, the the funny thing is, though, it's like even the people who even the parents like that. It's like the least that a parent can do, I guess, is facilitate the like passion. I think most kids like I, I think about right now, all the kids in my neighborhood that come by my house, every single one of them, male, female, all races and creed, all of them at the same like age bracket around like nine to 10 year range. They're all wanting to go out with me with flashlights, looking for lizards and toads and snakes and in the neighborhood. But at some point, I don't know. It's like that interest is in all of them, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe parents say, Oh no, that's too dangerous. Or society says, Ooh, gross. You're a girl. What are you doing? You know, that's nasty. And uh, so I don't know, man, it's like some of us manage to break through those little hurdles and not hear those voices but your yours has been interesting to me and your experience in the outdoors is like so dynamic and like i said before we started recording i'm like i don't know where to start because you've done so much stuff so i want to do it in reverse because i did just talk to dylan and i know y'all do a lot of similar things together and to avoid being repetitive like the canoe fishing i love but he didn't get to talk about the most recent trip where y'all went to, where did you go? Indonesia, right? So, yeah. So we went to Indonesia. I just got back from there. So this is like fresh. In fact, the, the cough that I have, that's like probably going to break all your eardrums. Um, <laughs> that's, that's still a residual. Like I just got back. Yeah. Um, so that was crazy. It's been a really wild, like three months for me, <laughs> but I was in Indonesia for about a month. Um, Indonesia was always like on my radar. Uh, in fact, it's funny because when it first came on my radar, uh, was for surfing, um, cause there's really good surfing there. And so <laughs> this was back like 2018, 2019, I started looking like, Oh, I want to go, I want to go to Indonesia and go surfing. Uh, I wasn't even like, I was hardcore fishing back then. Um, but wasn't even really into like the reptiles yet at that point. And then by the time that the trip actually came around to happening, cause it got postponed because of COVID, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and by the time it actually came around happening, it had evolved into this crazy adventure. We just kind of kept adding stuff because we were like, you can't just do this and you can't just do this. You can't just do this. 
so Indonesia is a big chain of islands, right? Um, south of Southeast Asia, so south of Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, that area. And I was on three islands. I was on Flores, Bali, and Sumatra. Um, so I started in Flores with just my buddy Anton. Um, it was just the two of us at that point. And we were doing scuba diving, which was crazy. Um, scuba diving is a new thing I've just jumped into recently. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got... I got certified several years ago, um, but it's an expensive hobby, and I'm like a broke young guy, so I just never really pursued it. Yeah. <laughs> but over in Indonesia, it's a lot cheaper. It's, it's still expensive, but when you like compare it, um, the problem is we went to Komodo National Park, and Komodo National Park. If you Google it, there's all these these like the first thing on all of these websites is like, do not come here as a beginner. If you do not have 50 logs dives, don't attempt this because there's these crazy currents. Um, yeah. So this area, it's hard to describe. You just kind of got to Google it. Um, it looks like no, it's like, looks like Jurassic Park. Like there's these crazy rocky outcropping islands and these crazy currents going all around them with these upwellings coming from hundreds of feet. Um, so of course what I did is I ignored uh, all of those <laughs> yeah. warnings, went trial by fire. And jumped in, and we dove for several days straight, uh, and it was crazy. Like the, it's a coral jungle down there. So we were scuba diving. My big moment was like we, I had some like real close moments with some manta rays, where like mm. I'm talking ten feet away from me, I'm holding onto like a rock in this crazy current, blowing me backwards. And this manta ray comes right over my head. It was nuts. Um, and of course we went and saw the Komodo dragons, um, which you know have to. Um, now, how does that so, work? That, that was obviously when you mentioned Komodo, that's like the first question anybody's going to have. Because I have seen videos like, you know, you think of like guys, you know, like Steve Irwin, as I guess the, a good example. It, it seems like they are willing and very happy to like pursue a person and like try to bite okay. you. I mean, what, so, how do you keep yourself safe? Can you outrun one of these things? Uh, I mean, I'm decently fast. I trust myself, but I don't know if I'd want to. I don't know if I'd want to test that. Um, so I'm gonna keep it real. I, it's actually kind of sucks that we're starting with this one because I do a lot of like authentic, genuine. Like there is no, there's no secret to it. Um, the Komodos are a bit of a like Yellowstone moment. Like there's a lot of tourists there. Uh, I was okay. actually like a little. I was a little disappointed. However. Uh, to ask, ask, you asked if they could like pursue you. Like there was some tourist who straight up got chased like by a big one. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Um, <laughs> um, I of course went up. Like I, my goal was I, I didn't want to touch one because like I want to be respectful to the national park guidelines. Yeah. However, I wanted to get close enough that I could touch one, and I did. I have a photo of me like hanging right behind one, uh, <laughs> by like a seven eight footer. It's pretty gnarly, but the the little ones are the active ones in the day. So I, I spotted a couple little ones. Um, they'll climb trees. They're running all over the place. <laughs> in the daytime, the Komodos are, they are, um, like, not sleeping, but you know how, like, big reptiles, big gators will just kind of sit there. Yeah. So they're just kind of sitting there for the most part. It's nighttime when they're super active. Okay, um, I wouldn't be afraid. I wouldn't be afraid to deal with them um, and handle them, but they are. Like, there's some formidable creatures for sure they're dragons <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah go ahead because uh, i know so, I, yeah, I, so that I, was like that was like the, the beginning of the trip that's like what we were doing um 
my buddy uh, Anton and I, who if you're ever looking for another future guest, uh, Anton Malak, he's like, he's the only person like who I can just reliably call on. And I'll be like, grab that thing that might kill you. And he's like, yes, sir. So he's, he's, he's awesome. Um, so we went over to Bali. We met up with our buddy Dylan. Um, we did all sorts of exploring. Uh, first of all, we were, I mean, like you, you name it. Like we had all these wild misadventures. Uh, there's everyone there drives these motos, like basically like motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we rented one and I was scared to death of it. I'm like, this is where I draw the line. This is the sanity. And Dylan's like, no, you're fine. I'm on the back of Dylan's moto. And he's like, you're fine. Like five minutes later, we had crashed and I had a million scabs. And I was like rolling down this dirt road. Um, I was surfing. They're there. The surfing reef are on reef breaks. So like you're surfing and like all of a sudden you're over like two feet of water and below you is like a razor sharp reef. So like at one point I was just like, shh, my feet were shredded. I was like, I don't know if I could do the rest of this trip. because I'm so injured already. Um, but it all went, it all peaked when we met up with some guys uh, who were snake catchers on um, in Western Bali, right? So in Bali, it's very developed, but like out in West Bali, it's still very rural. It's yeah. still like, like, uh, like undeveloped. <laughs> and out there, there are still king cobras and they build nests. They're the only snakes that build nests, which is quite a sight to behold. Um, and so What'll happen is during the fall, during the season we were there, these cobras will build the nests. And, you know, as much as I want to get on my high horse and say, like, oh, you should never hurt an animal. Because, like, I'm very, like, like, you know, Greenpeace, save the world sort of guy. Um, if people get bit out there, like, they die. Like, it's just, that's just yeah. how it is. Um, so a lot of times they kill the cobras or they will burn their nests, like surround it with fire and burn the nest and mm. the cobra to death. Um, so these people that we linked up with, they will contact the farmers or the farmers will contact them. It's like a well-known thing. They give them a small money, like kickback. And then the snake catchers come and they catch the Kings and they relocate them to national parks even further out. Um, so they're kind of like trying to help them. Obviously, relocating an animal like i'm sure some um like scientists that might hear this will go like well relocating doesn't usually work that well and it doesn't um but <clears> it's <throat> better than the alternative of them just yeah. killing it so we linked up with these guys and at first like we're talking to them which is there's a language barrier so we're like talking mostly through like hand waves and like pictures <laughs> um which like i'm sure you just got back from the amazon so you probably know all about that so yeah. situation but uh so at first we were like, okay, like we're just going to watch these crazy guys and they're going to tell us like, stay back. You like, you know, crazy white people just like take your photos, whatever. No, like we get to the first one and like the first guy like comes, like gets the cobra out of the nest. And he's like, he's like, all right, your turn. I was like, what? And all of a sudden I'm like holding this King Cobra. And I have a very strict rule personally. Um, Dylan loves to mess with my friend. Dylan loves to mess with the venomous stuff. I find it like irresponsible. I, I, I find <laughs> I find that you shouldn't personally like. I don't think you should mess with venomous creatures beyond where you sh- uh, beyond like your level because um, I think it sets a bad example. Um, but when you're like Indonesian snake sensei dude tells you to grab that king cobra, like you grab that king cobra. <laughs> so um, we're, we get it, and like the first one we got was like a seven footer, which is like a crazy thing, and it's got his head rearing up. 
And the thing about Cobras is they focus in on you, right? They're focused. They'll focus in on movement. So like I could go up or like, let's say, let's say it's me and you and we got a Cobra, right? You could go up and get his attention and you move your, your, you know, hands a foot to the right and it'll move its eyes to the right and you move to the left and it moves to the left and it's totally watching you. I could go up behind that snake pick it up and lift it up in the air and it won't care. It won't do anything. It won't turn around and won't try to bite me because it's focused in on what it's focused in on. So that was the, that was the game is like behind all of those photos that you see of like me holding a King Cobra. There's yeah. some guy with like a, a big hat, like being like, Hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Okay. Um, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Um, craziest moment though of, of hanging with these guys is like, you know, like it got, it got wild. Like you see those videos of like the crazy Indian snake catchers and you're like, how are they alive? Like yeah. we were like, in that. like that was us. <laughs> and so <laughs> at one point here's this farmer calls us and he's on FaceTime and he's like yelling like art. Like he's like, come, come, come. We, we realize he's running through the forest following the King Cobra that was on his property. It had like moved from the nest. And so he's mm. trying to like give us instructions. <laughs> we're running. This thing's moving. We pull up to it. Uh, it's a seven foot female, and all of a sudden behind it, we see a 13 foot male king cobra, which a 13 foot king cobra Gosh. is a sight to behold. Ugh. And it starts getting away, and my buddy Dylan grabs the tail. It's like, let's go. And we like grab these two king cobras, <laughs> we got them. And <clears throat> the most nuts thing that happened was um, we have these two king cobras, and we're like trying to deal with them. And we didn't even have, we only had one snake bag. So he like, <laughs> are trying to like put the smaller one in like a potato sack that we found. <laughs> so like we, we do that, right? It's in this potato sack, which is just not good. We've got the 13 footer out still dealing with it. All of a sudden we, we turn around and it had the smaller one had busted through the potato sack, like right behind one of the guys we were with. Like, and if you get bit by this thing, like it's death. Yeah. Like it's not like it's it's death. Yeah. Um, we're freaking out. They grab it while this is happening, and this sounds ridiculous, but like it happened. A a third King Cobra comes like running through the field. Like I say running because it had its like head up, so it looks like it's running, but it's running through this field. And we're like, oh my god! So then someone grabs that. We have like three King Cobras we're juggling with right Jeez. now, all trying to like keep them entertained. It was quite an experience but i mean it was amazing and that was a cool opportunity because like i mean even the the local guys we were with said that that 13 footer was the biggest they'd ever caught and like like we weren't just it wasn't like oh we're we're doing something that not many people do it's like we're doing something that nobody's done yeah um and that's how i felt a lot of this trip recent right after that we got invited by the locals to go check out this snake cave um, where it's like by the sea and there's a million bats. Um, and like, apparently no foreigners are allowed in it. Like you're not allowed to go in. And then they were like, yo, like go catch those snakes in there. And I was like, what? And they told <laughs> us that we went in there and like, we were catching these giant pythons that live in the walls that were like eating the bats. <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, so it's like, as far as I've done a lot of research, as far as I'm aware, like we are the only people ever that have caught pythons out of that cave. And if someone listens to it and has done it, I would love to talk to them. Like, like I'm not like claiming yeah. like we're someone crazy. Like, oh, nobody does it like us. It's just like as far as I can find, nobody's ever done this stuff. And so that's pretty cool. 
That is nuts. The King Cobra one is so interesting to me. Like, cause you know, I talked to Dylan before y'all went. So it's like, I got to take, like kind of get the, the idea of the trip beforehand. And this is like, you know, you think of all the different kinds of vacations you can go on in this world. <laughs> and you, and I have a lot of questions about this one specifically. It may eat up a lot of time, <clears throat> you know, because it's fun to talk about the highlights of the trip, but you know, people are going to wonder, there's obviously there's a planning stage. It's like there, a lot goes into it. And I want to get into that a little bit, but like the King Cobra's like, it's funny. You mentioned that. Like they just have always struck me as like behaviorally being more, I don't know, like of an inquisitive animal than all the other snake counterparts. Like there was a period when I was in college, when I worked at a wildlife park, it was the funnest job I've ever had. It's back when I was, I don't know, maybe a little more on track with, what I'm passionate about. <laughs> and I just, I, I lost, I, I fell off course, but <clears throat> I remember I got to work in like the reptile area a lot extensively with very little training for whatever reason. But I always remember like we had this one King Cobra in this enclosure and it was just like, it was just a different level of like intelligence that that thing, you could just feel like it was every move that it made was more measured like when you look at it, at you. Yes. When you look it's it in the eyes, at you. yeah, it's like <laughs> a lot of snakes. Like when you look at them, it's like, it just seems very robotic. Like there's not much soul behind it, but like for whatever reason, the King Cobra's like, this is a different, this is, this is like a different experience here, but what are they doing on the nest? That's very interesting. What you're describing. Are they roosting? Like, are they, are they aggressively, do they protect the nest similar to like what you'd see out of, other reptiles, like an, like an alligator, for instance, do they have like a maternal or paternal instinct? It's just, it's fascinating to me that the the male and female would both be actively engaged with the with the nest. I mean, is this? Are you getting an aggressive oh. response out of them when you come near their territory, or like what is what is the interaction like? Okay, so very much so. In fact, we were talking to later on in the trip, um, which we'll get to, I'm sure. I was like three days into the jungle and met like a real Tarzan, like the real one. And I told him what we had been doing. He's like, you never mess with Oprah's on nests. Like, what are you doing? Like they're much more dangerous. Yeah. They're much more aggressive than, um, now, uh, something from having spent a lot of time around scientists and like college, I'm always very careful to like what I say, cause it might not scientifically be a hundred percent. So pref I'm prefacing by that. This is a, a regular dude's understanding of it. What I've been told is that so the male and the female build the nest, or maybe just the female does, I'm not entirely sure. But they breed, and until the mother lays the eggs, the male, I think, stays around. And then later on, he leaves. Like, it's not normal to find the males. It's usually okay. just the females. But I think what had happened was those, the pair that we found, they had it like she hadn't laid her eggs yet. So he was still like sticking around to make sure that that was okay. Um, and then he leaves at some point. But yes, they're, they're standing on these nests. And I mean, you should Google like a King Cobra nest at some point. Looks really crazy. We actually found one that had eggs in it and like yeah, took the I... eggs to be incubated, which is crazy. Like, <laughs> what? Like, nobody buys this. Like, scientists don't buy this sort of yeah. shit. So it's like. <laughs> Yeah, like we are i was like this i was i felt so lucky but no they are like gnarly like they are defensive and they'll they stand up you know what i'm saying like it's hard to describe 
Like in a video, you can see it, but until you see it in person, and you said you've interacted with kings, so you understand. Like they'll stand up and look you in the eye, like off of this nest, and like that's they're they're scary. Yeah, <laughs> they were scary. I'm not gonna lie. Like people are like, aren't you? Like like you're you're so brave, you're so fearless. I'm like I, I don't know if I would describe it like that. Like I'm yeah. I'm very aware of my mortality the whole time. Um. But yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, a little bit of enough, a healthy amount of fear is going to keep you alive. So it's like, yes, you know, it's, you're an idiot if you say you're not afraid of things. It's like, no, it's, you temper the fear and control it. But, but yeah, I mean, my interaction with them, I don't mean to, it's, it's not even a comparison. It was a controlled environment. This thing was pretty docile. Um, you know, the only time it really became animated was when it knew there was food coming. It's just totally different. But I'm thinking like a 13 foot, venomous i mean you think about especially in terms of venomous snakes it's like you go you have your constrictors and then you have pretty much everything else so to think of a snake that's i don't know it's like king cobra like uh, like literally the king of snakes they're a 13 foot long king cobra i mean how how much how tall can they stand when they're really at their highest level like what what is the level vertical that that thing's able to get off the ground i mean I mean, <clears throat> at one point, it definitely stood, uh, I mean, I'd say it stood at least four feet off the ground, which when you're five foot five, like I am, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a little bit intimidating. <laughs> it's like, oh, like this thing is squaring up with me, like to fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they are, I believe they're the biggest, uh, the largest venomous snake in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, they're called kings because they're only snake eaters. They only eat other snakes. Uh, any snake that okay. has I didn't know that yeah any snake that has the name King in it is a snake eater like that's like how you can find like King snakes okay. and stuff like that yeah um so I um I just I think that's right don't quote me on that but at least the King Cobra does yeah. only eat <laughs> um other snakes so uh we actually the the fifth and final King Cobra that we caught was crazy. When we got to the nest, it was eating another snake. It was enveloping this uh, oh green gosh. racer, and we were like, "What?" <laughs> like this, like National Geographic moment. I'm filming on my like awful Samsung phone with like the worst phone quality ever. Yeah. Like that's how you know. That's how you know that I'm in this for like the passion and not like to get famous. Because yeah. if I wanted to get famous, I would just get a nice camera. But instead, I'm on my like two hundred dollar phone that <laughs> takes the worst photos in history. But yeah. You know, that's the funny thing is, <clears throat> you know, I, I, like you mentioned, I had just come back from the Amazon and I had brought us a, a lot of cameras and dude, I don't know, man, like I'm sitting there filming and like, I'm, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't, I couldn't commit to it because the whole time I'm looking through the screen, I'm like, I don't <laughs> want, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to, I want to be like part of the moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've waited my whole mm-hmm. life to get here. And I didn't wait my whole life to get here to look through a screen. It's like, you yeah. know, you, you want to like, you want to capture the moment on film so you can relive it. But, uh, I just, I don't know. I actually, I, you know what? I would love to get a guy to come on here as a guest that is like, like more into filmography than even doing the fishing just to, just mm-hmm. to, just to understand that side of it. But, um, yeah, I, I totally get it. It's like when you're really deeply in like, 
passionate about it and you want to be in the moment, filming is bullshit. It's like, oh, I ain't got time for this. I want to see this. But, um, no. But it's also like, uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's like a distraction. If you're farting around with the camera, you, you there's some margins of error that you don't want to play with with an animal like that. Like, you need yeah. to be aware. You know what I mean? I mean, almost like, like now, like this goes both ways because at the same time, like I am just genuinely like a complete, uh, like narcissist for like a good photo. Like I like if I catch a big fish, I'm like, I'm like, did we get the good photo? Like as oh, I'm like yeah. releasing, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like before I put this away, did you get my photo? Right. <laughs> um, like I like I I'm very honest about who I am and what I do. Like I'm not, I'm not yeah. um, you know, um, but at the same time. You know, you're right. And sometimes, sometimes like, like you said, like dealing with some of these scarier things or like more intense things, uh, you know, it can be tough. So actually what we do, I started this a while ago. I started this when I was tarpon fishing, actually, because if you've ever like, <laughs> if you've ever dealt with a tarpon, like a big one, let's say 120 plus, 140 plus, mm-hmm. um, you got two options this is a little bit of a tangent i don't mean to we can get into tarpon fishing more um because that's my number one passion on earth but basically you either bite the fish until it's i call it you know dead where it's like on its side and it's just laying there and then the fish is really tired and it might not revive the best or you grab that thing when it's green which is what i do um (laughs) and then you've got this crazy thrashing thing well try to hold it for a picture you know what i'm saying you're going to kill that fish. Yeah. In the trying to get your glory moment. So we just, we just videotape. We'll videotape for like 30 seconds of me, like unhooking, releasing and reviving and then send it on the way. And then somewhere in there, you go back, you can screenshot usually yep. like image. And that's what we do for a lot of these like venomous snakes. Um, or the more, you know, the more sketchy stuff, like a big Python where like, you gotta be able to react quick. Cause you're not getting, mm-hmm. You're not getting a 16 foot live Burmese python to sit still for a picture. You know, oh, you're yeah. not. Um, but that also means that sometimes, like, like I in Indonesia, one thing that was really cool, really cool, we caught these banded sea snakes. We actually like tracked oh, yeah. them on. Uh, we we got they were on the beach and we saw the sand. We saw snake tracks and like tracked them up into these rocks and then like pulled them out of this rock wall like the it was the craziest thing like no one's ever gonna believe this and then we caught it and we had this five foot venomous snake and it vomited up a huge spotted moray eel i was like <laughs> what? what um <laughs> only thing is is they're known for being docile like like you could slap it in the face and it probably wouldn't bite you but if it does bite you like you're gonna die like just a hundred percent like it's like a hundred percent so I have like no really good photos of me of it because the whole time of like videos of me, I'm like, Oh, like I'm in the yeah. moment, like trying not to like, like I'm just thinking about like, I'm like holding my life in my hands right now and I'm releasing it. So yeah, like sometimes I do a lot of this cool stuff and I just don't get, I just do not get a good picture or video, but that's fine. I mean, I caught uh, about like conservatively like a 300 to 350 pound Goliath grouper on artificial biggest that i know of the around the area and like the video the photo i have of it is like a picture of like a blurry picture of my face and like six feet down on the seawall there's like oh i think there's a fish down there somewhere yeah but like you know <laughs> it's it's not all about that it's not all right. about that it's about the adventure yeah it definitely comes to a point especially with fish where it's like you can get that great photo but you're gonna have a hard time doing it like <laughs> 
and it not be at the expense of the fish, you know, dying. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I forgot about the sea snakes. I forgot the name of that species too. Like there, it's like the uh, infamous one. Uh, the banded sea crate is what yes, we were sea crate. I'm like, what banded is the name crate. of? Now, how often do those come out of the ocean? I didn't know that that was like, is it normal for them to come up on land, go back in the ocean? I thought it was like a really like spending like 98% of its lifespan in the ocean. And this is just they me. Hunt, they're, they're, up on, they're up on land at night a lot. Okay. I can't speak to like, I can't speak to the specific biology of what, why, or how much. But like, we found six in two nights of hunting along the beach. Um, which was also cool because we tried to like get information on where to find them, and we had like <laughs> like ten, uh, we'll say famous like Instagram herpers just like throw it back on us, like like oh you want to find them? Uh, three thousand dollars for uh tour, like ridiculous stuff. And so like we had no information, we had no information, and I was like surfing, and I was like yo this beach like this beach looks good. Like if I was a sea snake, I'd be on this beach. And yeah. sure enough, like we came back and found it. And that that was so rewarding. Like just oh, yeah. to be like, you know, find it ourselves. That's just gonna feel way better. Well, y'all like man, I could ask a lot of questions about this trip because it looks so crazy. But uh y'all also got into like some other obscure, like different species of cobras. Now I saw the one oh. where you got into the spitting cobra. And that <laughs> yeah. one I'm like, like, what were you where did you have like face shields like the safety oh, glasses no. like i mean how are you keeping <laughs> are you just dodging and like trying to matrix duck the venom i mean how does that work oh boy so the spinning cover is a hilarious story so um <laughs> todd like yeah this is like i, I think we're gonna have to do like three podcasts at this point because there's just so many freaking stories <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um, so we were actually and this is a hilarious moment you know like we were on bali at this point which like um, like, like only my friend group would do something like this. Like we're on Bali and we like sneak into this abandoned theme park at like uh, 11 yeah. at night. And, <laughs> um, but then like some local guy, also there was some local guys like, you can't come in here. And we're like, no, like it's public. And he's like, no, you can't. And he's like, well, for 5,000 rupiah, you can. And I was like, all right, sold. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you pay the admission oh, price to get into the abandoned theme park. Literally. Uh. <laughs> um, so we like split up. We split up. And the funniest part is, like I said, like fishing and fish is my thing. Like I know fish. Mm-hmm. I know fish better than like almost anyone that I hang out with. But like snakes and reptiles, I don't like, I'm like, I'm still like the, I'm like the newbie that is like just plunged headfirst into this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm walking by myself in like a little forest section and I see this snake, this like big brown snake in a tree. And I was like, yo guys, like there's a snake over here. And like, Oh cool. Like, what is that? Like, I don't know. It's just a brown snake, like nothing. And like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, but I'm not going to grab it. Cause I don't know exactly what it is. Well, they come up with like, Oh, that's a Cobra Elliot. <laughs> Whoops. Um, because they don't put up, you know, until they're, like, nervous. So yeah. it just looked like a regular brown snake. Best part is, it had an injury on the back of its hood that made it look like a spectacled cobra. Mm. Um, so that's what we thought it was. And then, like, we're, like, dealing with it, like, trying to get photos. And, like, I, I was nervous. The the smaller cobras actually made me more nervous because they can, like, turn yeah. quicker. 
Um, and it like it like spit something, and I was like, you know, I think that's a spitting cobra. And, and, and my buddy Joe was like, nah, man, it's not. It just shoot also. It just shoots like a bunch of venom all over my buddy Anton, and I was like. I'm oh pretty sure God. it's a spinning cobra, bro. <laughs> and it was a spinning cobra. It was not, we could not convince Dylan until afterwards when we played back the video that it was a spinning cobra. He was he was adamant it wasn't. And then he's like, nah, boys, like we were just dealing with a spinning cobra with like no eye protection. Like and it was so it's so bad. Like, like I also like have some connections who are like scientists and they just look at me as this like yeehaw moron and like they don't want me to deal with any of the crazy stuff they do because they're like you're gonna just you're gonna endanger it all and like this story is not helping my case (laughs) but but that was that was nuts um but you know one thing i really quick wanted to touch on um because you mentioned it like probably like 10 minutes ago at this point but you mentioned like planning this trip Mm -hmm. and like the specifics and like how it's not like a normal vacation and this is maybe just like my own little like cocky ego but something i despise is like when people refer to a lot of the stuff i do as vacations because like in my head yeah. like, a vacation is like <laughs> it's like hey let's go hang by a pool and like let's go you know relax like people, i'll come back and like my boss will be like you feel well rested from your vacation and i'm like i think i am dying from dengue fever um and i have not slept in 17 days uh no i did not enjoy my vacation i I, I think of it as like adventures i think of it as trips Mm. and that's something that i like to i'd like to say too is a lot of people will like you see like you, you go on my instagram right it looks crazy and you might and i have a lot of people say like god i wish i lived your life and i'm like do you like yeah like i was in sumatra and there was this point where, like, I'm three days into the jungle, and I'm, like, sleeping on the ground in the mud in this rainforest. I am, like, I'm just, like, being completely honest, I am just nonstop diarrhea. Like, nonstop. I can't, like, there's <laughs> nothing clean. There uh. is no, like, I have not eaten in a day. I'm dying. I busted my knee, which, I, that's a whole other story. I, like, I have, like, a completely injured leg. I'm hiking through, and, like, I am so hot. Now, I enjoy this stuff. Like, I, that's why I do the things I do. I love testing myself. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I promise you that, like, 90% of people who are like, oh, I want to come on a trip with you. It's like, dude, like, no. like Start small. Don't go for think, King bro. Cobras. Like, like, it's really, it's, like, it's tough. It's tough. Um, so, um, but, yeah. And that, that, I guess, leads to the third island we were on, which was, was Sumatra. Um, which that was, that was a whole nother, that was epic. (laughs) Well, just to keep going a little bit on that side, because, you know, I know a lot of people, myself included, when I, when I listen to people who have these fascinating stories, especially where you're going further, it's, uh, you know, like I only recently left the country for the first time. So there's a lot of uncertainties like, okay, but like, how like how are you doing that you know a lot of a lot of people who don't i don't know don't get to do these things it's like it it just seems too unrealistic and so you describe yourself as this broke young guy you know because a lot of times people will will assume if you're able to go and do these things now because you've been to a lot of different places like you've been to the amazon multiple yeah. times you've been to iceland <laughs> you've been to 
Sumatra and Indonesia. Like, so uh, a lot of times people immediately look at like the dollar sign and like, uh, well, you know, I could never do that. Like this guy probably has some rich parents. It's like, there's, there's gotta be a process. Like you're not, you're, you're an adventurous guy, but you're not stupid. You know what I mean? Like I know, and I understand that guys like you and Dylan, like you're, there's a, there's a real intelligence and a real like deep knowledge base behind the wild man exterior. So I know that, that like you went down there knowing you, you were open to being adventurous and being spontaneous, but there were certainly some objectives. I know for Dylan, the big one was, we want to find a King Cobra. We want to see orangutans, but there's Mm -hmm. gotta be like, was there like a research process and say like, who's some contacts? How do you establish communication with these people? What's the best season where we might find it? Like, how did you, if you don't mind me asking, is like how how did you like how do you make this stuff happen? Is there like a budgeting involved to make sure you it's within the price range where you're not going to be living on the streets when you get back? I mm-hmm. mean, you know what I mean? Like I I want people who are listening who may not necessarily want to go to Indonesia to look for king cobras, but maybe they have some other ambition. Like you've you've gone and maybe we'll touch on the Amazon stuff too. But people who want to do this stuff, you know, I don't know. It's like but ah, oh, I can never get behind the desk. I can never get out from behind the the desk that I work at to go do these things. But you're obviously a guy who has a, you know, a job who's still making these things happen. So it's like, you know, I don't know, man. Like, kind of, I think you know the direction I'm wanting to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go with no, things. of course, yeah. So, um, the all right, one thing I'm I'm just gonna say because I I feel like I have to preface this, um. The Iceland trip, that was like a, a whole like separate thing that I got lucked into. Iceland's ins- insanely expensive. That was not something to easily do. But on the rest of them, yes, you can travel for a lot cheaper than people realize. Um, <clears throat> but it, more than that, even, I think it's a little bit about prioritizing. Mm. Um, for instance, right? Like, I, uh, I live with my parents right now, uh, with my whole family. And I pay rent to them. Like I'm paying because like my parents are both teachers. It's not like we're not we're not a wealthy family, right? So like I'm helping pay in, but I'm paying less, right, than I might be if I was living in an apartment by myself. So that's like a sacrifice I make, right? Or um <clears throat> I was hanging out, was hanging out with some uh people, and this one girl was going like, like I just like how do you like how do you get to go on these trips? Cause like it's yeah I'll do it cheap but I'm not gonna pretend like it's super cheap to go all do to all this stuff and I'm like yeah I go how many times have you eaten out this month and she was like well I eat out like almost every day for dinner like I go somewhere I'm like cool like um I'm a I'm gonna put everyone listening on a tip right now a box of angel hair pasta has more uh filling it's more filling than your standard spaghetti so you can go buy yourself a dollar box of angel hair get about six meals out of it um. Two dollars of spaghetti sauce, and if you really want to get crazy, I have some like vegan meatballs I throw in. So that's like six or seven meals that you can pull with like seven or eight bucks. Like that's how you got to think about it, right? Like that's I'm not living some luxurious life, but I also like I am blessed. Like I'm I do have like the ability to live with my family, and I'm tight with my family, so it's not like a problem. Um, But like I drive a car with 180,000 miles on it that has holes in the roof and when it rains it rains on me and i have to consistently dry out the interior of my car like that's like there's, yeah. <laughs> there's 
you know, there's more to it. Um, so definitely, I think like just learning, I feel like to budget and, and prioritizing it, right? Like my next thing I have my sights on is Africa. That's like the Ooh. big one. Um, and so like, that's not going to be cheap, right? There's there, I'm going to do it cheaper because that's what I'm, because I'm willing to do it that way. Um, but like, there's no, there is no cheap Africa trip. So I have to save up. I have to work hard. I am a, like, I, I put a lot of money towards my travel, towards my adventures. I also structure my life in such a way that I can do my, all the things I like to do. For instance, I eventually want a standard nine to five Monday through Friday job. I actually think like that, the, the peace of mind of that sounds amazing. But right now I am a kayak tour guide. Um, I work really hard seasonally. So like it's very hard from like, say November to like end of May when it's high tourist season. I'm constantly on the water in the sun doing these tours. Um, I also run deliveries for a magazine company in the evening. I also am a substitute teacher at the uh, local high school. And that's what I did today. I just got done teaching a bunch of kids. They'll probably listen to this and be like, oh, we heard you swearing. Um, <laughs> and That's um, pretty cool. I also work. I, I also do like night shifts at a gym so that I get a free membership to go to the gym. Like mm. it's like all about like working your life into this way. Um, but as for what you said about um, like, oh, like I can't get myself out from outside the desk. Um, it's hard. Uh, people don't realize this like when they talk to me my anxiety about traveling is insane. I literally sent a message to my mom like six months ago when I was planning. <laughs> I had this Amazon trip and the Indonesia trip coming up. And I was like, I just don't think I ever want to leave the county again. Like I had such anxiety about it. And I, I did it anyway. I just pushed myself. Um, I think a lot of it came down to when I was 18, I studied abroad in uh, Peru. And that was my first time in the Amazon. Okay. And that was like my big first, like I had always traveled, but that was like the big, like throwing myself off the cliff. <laughs> and I came back and I was kind of like, I was like, yo, like if I can like survive living in the Amazon, like I can do almost anything. Yeah. And I think like it builds on itself. It builds on itself for sure. Like, like the, I always joke that like my final boss in life, like when I'm like, when I'm like the final challenge is like, the Congo and catching a Goliath tiger fish and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. That's like insanity levels. Right. Yeah. But you don't, you don't just jump into that. Right. You hike through the jungles of Sumatra first and you like do a trip to the Amazon first. Like you work your way up through these, um, things as for the planning, a lot of time on the internet, a lot of time on the internet. Um, a lot of time trying to make connections with people. Um, now I'm not saying you can't, like I actually was really lucky in that, like, if we ever we get into it later, like I caught my most recent Arapaima like solo by myself. Yeah. But a lot of what a lot of what you do, you know, it comes down to connections. It comes down to networking, right? Like I am good at finding things. Like I am very good at finding wildlife. I know my I know my talents, right? I know my skills. I would have never had that King Cobra opportunity had me and Dylan not networked and talk to people who talk to people who knew people who did this. Yeah. Or, um, like I, I mean, I'm all sorts of things. Like I went to the Amazon, right. Uh, the second time, this most recent time, but that was because I was going with a research group that like I was 
I had found myself into. So there, there's a lot of networking that goes into it. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to people, I think. <laughs> and then a lot of research and understanding that like things aren't always going to go as planned. Like something that's, uh, I'm just going to throw him under the bus because I bet he's not going to listen to this. So if you do listen to it, Dylan, this is, I'm throwing you under the bus. Dylan's you know damn well Indian. he's going to listen to this one. <laughs> he might not listen to any of the other ones <laughs> but because um because there were so many points where like the infrastructure just doesn't work like it just does not work like you're like <laughs> well like we have to get we have to get to this place and in america it's like oh like how do we get to this place whereas like you could be somewhere in like a third world country and they're like oh no like we're just not going today and you're like what like i or or like one time we showed up for one of our intercountry flights we're like oh we canceled that flight yesterday like what like yeah we have to like we have to be on an island like four hours away and like four hour flight wise away and like in four hours they're like yeah that's crazy and so you just gotta like you gotta like plan and deal with it and not get discouraged because it can get so hard it can get really tough um just gotta kind of push push through it um but do that research plan and then always but then always be aware that like, it's not going to go according to plan. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I just, I just think back to like the last several trips I've done, like, like planned a trip to go out hiking and exploring Utah. Right. Ended up in like a straight up blizzard and stranded on like a mountaintop. And I was sleeping in a van in like zero degree weather. Oh, well roll with it. Um, you know, Oh, they canceled your flight. Okay. Well let's go into problem solving mode and let's talk to every flight person in this airport until we find a flight that's going where we need to go and then explain that we need to get on that flight and like you just do this stuff you just go for it um so plan really hard let it all fall apart and then improvise from there <laughs> that's a really actually good advice i i like that you say that there's definitely some key elements in that or like some key takeaways i think like I don't know, man. It's like, there's some humility that'll take people a long way. And I think you're in tune with that because the networking, I totally agree with. I mean, at some point when you get ambitious enough, you have to put your ego aside and realize you're not the hot shit and you're going to have to rely on somebody else's local knowledge. Um, And so I don't know, dude, it's like you, you encounter these people on like the internet usually in the wake of doing something really cool. Like, let's say like, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've gotten this when you've caught, dump something or you experience something really neat you get some messages and some people are looking for you to just give them quick intel some people you can tell it's like they're gen like their interest in what you're doing is genuine and so mm-hmm. um but unfortunately i think it's sometimes it's hard hard to know i i've experienced the same thing where it's like you know i'll catch something interesting it's like something i'm proud of and then out of the woodworks come the people who never wanted anything to do with you before. And all of a sudden they're asking, getting straight to the point. You know what I mean? Where did you catch yeah. that? So, like, so that's one thing I'd also say too, is um, a lot comes down to like learning from others. Um, but people aren't going to just share secrets to you. So yeah. a lot is learning to ask a lot of le- is learning to read between the lines. For instance, I totally like, as like I'm I'm a good fisherman, but like I need to know certain details on things, right? That I don't know. <laughs> and so 
Um, for instance, one of my big goals for this year is I really want to catch a giant hammerhead shark, right? Mm. If I ask someone, if I say, I want to catch a big hammerhead shark, where do I go? Can I go with you? Can you, can you put me on? Like, no. But if I, I'll say stuff like, or, or like, like, what kind of areas should I be looking for? I'm not asking, and I'll, say this, right. I'll say this, I'm not looking for a spot. Or like, um, like I, I was planning, uh, uh, when I was planning this Indonesia trip and I was like looking for specific creatures, snakes and stuff like that. I would say like, I literally would start with, Hey man, like I'm not looking for a spot. Like I'm not asking for that, but like what sort of stuff should I be looking for? Yeah. Like, like, and, and I'm always willing to share that stuff too, is it's like, People, people always want to know stuff about like the tarpon fishing. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not telling you, like, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm not telling you, but I've had people say stuff like, you know, like they'll t- ask me, but ask me about currents, ask me about tides, ask me about how did I find my spots? Well, then, then people are a lot more willing to then because they're seeing, Oh, this guy wants to learn. This guy wants to explore himself. Nobody's going to put you on. Nobody's going to take you somewhere and be like, go right here, do this. It's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure that you can relate to this sort of stuff with fishing. Like if I were to go ask you like, like one, one fish and like, I'm not going to even like get into this right now, but one fish I'm very, um, jealous or not, not even jealous, but like I, I admire is you caught that really cool golf sturgeon. I saw that picture. I was like, Whoa, but it's like, I don't want to, to go with you and have you be like, Hey, like, let's go catch this fish together. I'll go show you how to do it. But I would ask something like, hey, man, like, where'd you start? How would you like, did you did you research an area or like how long did you stay in an area before you left and started looking for new areas? Like those, yeah. those are like the little things. And that's how you learn. That's how you learn. That's how you. Evolve. Well, it's funny you mentioned that one, because that's been a real sore subject. Of my, I, I might have even ranted about it to Dylan. I don't, I don't remember. I probably gave that information too willingly. And it's. It's been blown. It's actually, it's already been blown up. I, I've seen it. I've seen all these YouTubers, all these people, tons of people like are suddenly uh, mysteriously fishing exactly where I was. I'm like, damn it, dude, I blew it. Uh, but yeah, man, that's, I agree though. It's like, well, I don't know. That was like a, that's like a sore spot, but it's like a learning thing too. But uh, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best example, but no, but it, but, that's, I, but that's one of the ones where a lot of people were in my like inbox asking questions. And uh, but it's like if you genuinely care about the animal and the experience, then you're willing to commit to like the long term process of establishing like a real genuine rapport with a person. Like a lot of my most mm-hmm. cherished trips that I've gone on were with like the subject matter expert or the person that knows that area. And it's a person that I had began talking to five years before, like laying the groundwork. And it's like a slow process, but it's like, there's people that I have put on fish too, that I took a long time before actually doing It's like, okay, this person is still here, still like supportive, still engaged, still, you know, I don't know, man. It's like, you can tell when somebody is genuinely interested in the experience and when somebody just wants to be able to like get a bunch of likes and clicks because they caught something cool and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think the funniest example of that is actually, um, is the Python hunting in Florida because I get, 
I swear to you, like three messages a week. Yeah. Of, hey, do you have a good Python spot? Okay, first of all, and, and like, I'm going to go on air saying this for the world. There's no Python spot. That's not how Python hunting works. It's yeah. like, <laughs> it's like I hunt and I tell them, like, I hunt a like 300 square mile radius and I have never found a snake in the same spot once. Like, I never. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, I can tell you what to do and what to do is to go out and move yourself through the Everglades in some fashion and you will find them eventually and you will start to pick up on them. And I'll tell them like, oh, here's what I look. I look for a pattern. Like I look for a pattern, right? But uh, that's that's not what people want. People want a spot. People want to be like, oh, this road right here yeah. has a python on it every night. That's not how it works. That's not how it happens. So I yeah. actually, oh god, I had one guy. I had one guy texting me nonstop about a year or two ago. And finally, at the end, he was like, well, this is ridiculous. He's like, what do you mean? Like, so you just drive all over the place? This is I think he literally at one point called it a scam. And I was like, what? He's like, <laughs> he went out and he, he drove all over the Everglades and didn't find one. And I was like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I, I can't find them, it done. can't be done. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but this is all, this has all been a tangent to all bring it around planning uh, for, for the planning. I definitely think like experience, like using local knowledge, combine it with your knowledge that's what's going to help you find a lot of this cool stuff in other places well i like too that you mentioned sort of like it's a very smart and experienced thing to factor like to factor in the inevitability of failure is like you need to know that at some leg of this super ambitious trip you're going to run into walls you're going to run into gear that didn't make it uh part of your itinerary that couldn't be done. Like you were mentioning, like sometimes you needed to be on this Island and then they threw a curveball at you. It's like, I have, man, dude, I don't know if you may have had similar experiences. That's why I normally do all my stuff alone. I do a lot of stuff alone because I'll go on trips with people that were not equipped, not, not with gear, not equipped with the mentality or the physicality to follow me. And it is like, dude, what oh. did you expect? Do you think we were going to show up you're, here and hit home runs? We're about to have to grind it out. And I've had, I've you're, had you're trips telling that, me. So it's like, I think when you know at the forefront of your mind, there's going to be, we're going to run into some shit. Then two, when you do run into it, it doesn't catch you off guard. You're like, oh, all right, here it is. We're here. And if it doesn't happen, great. That's like the cherry on top. But good. I got proved well, wrong. I, I'd like to blame what I call and like, I don't want to sound, I do not want this to sound like I'm talking down on anyone at all, but like, I'd like to, to, I, I call it the Costa Rica effect, yeah. um, which is that a lot of people go down to Costa Rica and what they do is they stay in a resort. Uh, and so what they do is they fly into San Jose and they walk out of the airport doors and there's someone holding a sign that says, Elliot Totten. And I'm like, oh, that's me. And yeah. I walk and I get the van and they drive me on a road to the resort. We get in the resort and I stay there. And every morning they come out and they take you for like an adventure. Oh, today we get to go whitewater rafting. You go whitewater rafting and then you come back to your resort and you sip on your drinks in your air conditioning. And yeah. <laughs> oh, tomorrow we're doing a surfing class. You do that. Oh, tomorrow we're going to rooster fishing. So they like take you to the boat and then they take you out. Um, and people do that. And I, that's awesome. Like I'm not dissing on anyone. That's not like, I feel like a lot of people 
go to Costa Rica or they go to similar places and then they have this idea of like, oh, I've been to the jungle. Like, mm. oh no, you haven't, bro. <laughs> like, I promise you. Um, yeah. Like, I, asked, <laughs> I I did Costa Rica with my cousin, um, the one who I, I watched River Monsters with my whole life. And we actually rented a car and road tripped it all ourselves and like drove on like the local roads. And that was the, that was a scary experience. Like, I, I had some really scary experiences in Costa Rica, like in terms of like, wow, like this is pushing myself to my limit. And yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. But we meet these people. We'd be talking to some people on these on the trip, and it was clear like they hadn't left their like resort. And I was like, "Oh, they're like, how do you do all this stuff?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, this, 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 and this." But my point in what I'm saying is that then people people don't have the mentality that a lot of these trips are going to suck. They're going to be awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like like the I don't know how I don't know the area you were in the Amazon. I I truly don't know because the Amazon's a mega basin, right? Like it it's mm-hmm. so diverse. Um, but the area I've been, I've been to Peru twice in northern Peru, um, kind of near the Colombian border. And like, it's rough. Like, it's really like miserable. Like, I always say to people, like, the Amazon is the roughest days of my life ever, but it's like some of the most rewarding. But yeah. like, there was this one girl who was, I was talking to recently. She's like, oh, I want to go to the Amazon with you so bad. And then, like, and then, like, two weeks, two days later, she was talking to me and she's like, talk about how much she hates mosquitoes. And I'm like, oh, Oh, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you want to do well. Um, but yeah, you got to plan for that stuff. It's going to suck. And like, you got to factor it into your planning too. You can't, you can't have an itinerary when you're doing this stuff that's going to be like, bam, bam, bam. Perfect example. I busted my knee so badly when I was in Sumatra. I was, we were staying in this town uh, that like, and it has this river running through it with these rapids, right? Like whitewater rapids. And all the locals, they shoot these rapids on like inner tubes, like a little like floaty inner tube you'd have at the beach. Yeah. So I was like, hell yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> we're, we're rafting with these locals and like going down. It's crazy. And um, but then it starts raining. And like, I, you know, I'm not known for like being the most intelligent at times. And I'm like, oh, wow, the river's turning brown. And like, I keep going down the river anyway. I'm like, oh. But what I didn't realize is yeah. that, like, as the rain was coming, like, the rapids were tripling in size. And all of a sudden, like, all these locals that were on the sides, like, cheering for us, they weren't cheering anymore. They were like, right. yeah, turn back. Yeah. Long story <laughs> short, I got thrown off and I went down about 300 yards of rocky rapids, just a body, just myself. And I literally oh, just slam, bam, bam, bam. At one point, I got held under for like 30 seconds and I was Ooh. like, making my piece. Came up. <laughs> But I slammed my knee really badly, right? So all of a sudden, I couldn't walk for the next three days. And I was supposed to be going on a big hike camping in the jungle the next day, which was like the whole reason I planned the trip. And so, but luckily, I had factored in extra days because I was like, I'm like, something's going to happen, you know? Yeah. But like, and eventually, like, I healed up enough that like I could go hike. And that's when we saw the orangutans. That's when we were camping. Um, and it was amazing. But like, you have to kind of factor in that that moments that are not going to go according to plan well what's weird is like i i've always approached every type of trip i've gone on knowing that it's like i'm i'm sort of like writing a story for myself if if that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like i have like i've always been aware enough of like the all-encompassing elements of the trip that's like as weird as it sounds like the best stories the best novels the best movies have like an arc 
or like an uh, uh, a period of difficulty that like the that like the main character has to push through. And like your best oh, stories yeah. when you sit around with your buddies around the campfire or like whatever you have, like I'm not entertained by a story of where everything went right. It's like, well, that's not very interesting. Like, I want to know about, you know, you got shit on, you almost died, like something terrible. Yeah. Like, so yeah. I've always known, like, I don't know, dude. It's like, it's funny. Like, I'm always, that. I'm aware enough in every situation that I'm in where when things go south, I automatically start computing, like, how, how good this is for the overall picture. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I call that, I call that secondhand fun. I call that a moment, a moment where the moment sucks, but you're going to look back on it as like one of the most fun experiences of your life. Even though in the moment it was miserable. Yeah. My friends hate me. My friends hate me for it because <laughs> like, even on this recent trip, I'd always say like my catchphrase was a new experience because yeah. I was reading this book where this guy was getting yelled at by this girl he was traveling with. And she was like, if you know, an earthquake could happen to you and you would just be like, oh, wow, cool. A new experience. Yeah. But like, that's, <laughs> my, that is my mentality. I'm like literally like oh, sick like like <laughs> like I one point one point man this is this is such a ridiculous story but we got robbed by an orangutan like we had it steal our food like from our tent like jumped us and like also was in our tent with us and it was like holy shit <laughs> and like it stole our food and then we were like well, I was really looking forward to eating that well guess what now I got like the craziest story like the ultimate campfire story for the rest of my life oh, yeah or like. <laughs> Or like, um, I actually, so I, I don't know for sure. I actually got a text like an hour before this from someone I was on the trip to the Amazon with that they tested positive for having dengue fever in their system. And when I came back, I was miserably sick. I was like death's door. And, yeah. um, and so now I'm like, oh, well maybe I had dengue fever. Like that's a part of the crazy story. Like, yeah. yeah right. You know, well, so. what do you think? Like, it, it's funny. Cause like, again, like I mentioned, I'll, I've, I've done a, a few of, a small number of trips. I pretty much quit going with people if I didn't absolutely know that they had like the fortitude to handle it. But it's like, well, what's the alternative to embracing it? I mean, sitting around bitching about it, turning around and going home is like the alternative is worse. Like it's like oh. all you can do is embrace it and laugh at it because the only other thing you can do is let it end your trip or make you absolutely miserable. So it's, you know, I don't know, man. It's just, I totally get that mentality. It's like, but it's like people who can't do that or aren't geared that way will just, they just won't be able to enjoy these kinds of things. But uh, no. I want to hear, I want to hear some fish stories because obviously this is a fishing podcast and I've been talking a lot about yeah. non-fishing things. Now you've mentioned it or you've alluded to a couple of times, the, like the Amazon and your encounter with an Arapaima. Now, obviously I just, I just got to experience Arapaima, but <laughs> you're just crazy, man. Like I have been, I just want you to know, I want you to know that I have sent your little article that you wrote to like five different people. And I've like looked yeah. at your pictures 10 times. Cause I'm like, like <laughs> Oh man, like you, you've leveled up. But well, like, I, yeah, I, so I did. I loved my experience. And even being guided there, it's like, okay, but we were guided by a really interesting individual, like, you know, it's indigenous people, but you got to do it in such a pure way. And I'm like, wow, like you're out there alone. I don't know, man, like I seen the pictures and the quick little video, but I never got the full story of you solo venturing off <laughs> and encountering Arapaima alone. Like, how did that work out? Okay. All right. So, um, I, 
I've actually been lucky enough that I've encountered two Arapaima Malik. The first was when I was um, 18 studying abroad, but there's not much to that story. I actually, it's, it's always been a sore spot for me because I was part of like the team that caught it, but like I was spent very little time on the rod. I spent the entire time um, like fighting off Caymans trying to get to this Arapaima to land it, but that's a whole, that's not, that's not <laughs> a big fun story. So I always was like, I always had this kind of like monkey on my back in my fishing career where I was like, like, oh, Arapaima is my favorite fish. But like, I didn't really get that moment. And then I caught one solo. So I was like, oh, I got my moment. Yeah. Um, so how it went down, um, we were at a research station really deep in the Peruvian Amazon. So um, this one was far in. Uh, I'm like, as in, as in like, we're not like near the uncontacted tribes, but they're like, but someone was like, oh, yeah, like 100 miles that way. There are some uncontacted tribes. Yeah. So like we're like in like the we're in like the ballpark. Right. And like we're not seeing other people. And so I was actually on this trip um, because I knew the right people. Um, and it was a venomous. We were, we were studying venomous snakes. So we were like catching venomous snakes, milking them, doing it uh, for like cancer research. Really cool stuff. Um, however, I won't get into all the details, um, mostly for the sake of everyone else on the trip. There was some significant drama on the trip. And when you are um, when you are over a hundred miles from civilization and there is five people total, um, not great to have like some serious fighting going on. Ooh. So um, but we had a rule, right? So where we were, the rule was you can't go anywhere solo because it's dangerous out there. Like I, I like if you got bit by something or you fell and you broke something and someone didn't know where you are. Like we're talking like actual possibility of death out there. Um, yeah. So, uh, and and again, like this, and where we were too. Um, we went to a second research station where it's like, oh, it'll be like, you know, eight hours of travel to get to the closest hospital. Um, well, this was more like sixteen plus hours of travel to get to the nearest hospital, and so that was the rule. But I knew that there was this. There was this lake way up, like upland from our our camp, and I uh, I I knew there was Arapaima there because we had been up there and I had seen one do like the roll and like yeah. if if you've never experienced seeing that roll in real life, it's I don't care how much you watch it on videos or pictures, seeing like the genuine mermaid tail come up, mm-hmm. unbelievable. <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to catch one. However, um, I brought two rods to the Amazon. Um, one snapped in half in the transit. Oh, no. And the other one and the other one was damaged in the transit. And when I took my first cast um, for some piranhas, uh, the rod snapped in half. So I had two halves of rods <laughs> and not set up great. Um so what I did have was I had a, I had some, a baby payara um, that I had like caught earlier, just like off the main river. And it was my last night at this camp. I knew there was air time in there. And I had just like, the drama had just like exploded in the camp. So I was like, that's it. And I was like, I'm going, like, I'm going fishing. Like, bye guys. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like puffing and puffing. I'm like walking through the jungle. Now it's probably like, Let's say the sun sets at 6.30. It's probably like 4.30 at this point. So I get up, I, and it's like an hour in. So I like hike up to this lake. 
And on the way there, I'm like, I knew where it was, but like, I'm like wayfinding, like I'm like chopping, I'm like getting my way through with my half a rod, right? Like I have yeah. three <laughs> eyelets on this rod. That's it. Like three <laughs> of six eyelets are on this rod. Um, and I get up there, I got my little backpack and I'm listening to my music and I see an air and I'm like, oh my God, like this is it. Yeah. Like, I'm seeing them in this lake. And this is a big, this is a pretty big lake too though. So like I promise, start casting out. I got this dead Pyara for bait. And like just nothing, like no takers. And I'm like sitting here, sun's going down, and I see him roll a few times. But again, this is a huge lake, so it's like I can't get their attention. I certainly can't get their attention with this dead pyara. Basically, I'm reeling in and I get hit by something like, oh, Arapaima. And then immediately, like the hook set into like a much smaller fish. And I'm like, I had Arapaima. And I pull in, and a bigger pyara had eaten the little one. Okay. <laughs> I was it's like, okay. So what I did was I had this plastic bottle, like a like a water bottle. I took some uh, like small line, like 30 pounds, and I tied it around it in a weak knot and then I tied it to the swivel. So basically what that did is it was like a bobber, but it was such a weak knot that if it were to get pulled under fast, it would unravel the knot because it was a weak, it was weak. Yeah, and it would pop off. So I tossed this live PR out. And I'm like, all of a sudden, like it gets hit. But like it doesn't go down, and I'm like, oh no, like I missed my chance. And then I see an Arapaima roll like like five feet from me from the bank. And I reel in, and all of a sudden that bobber just goes, oh, <laughs> like, oh my god. It's on. It's on. <laughs> I'm by myself, right? And I'm freaking out. And all of 10 seconds goes by before this fish runs my line and, and keep in mind like i'm trying to fight this on like half a rod so i have like just no <laughs> give it's like i'm literally like i'm like feeding it feeding the line with my hand because it's just like it sucks um <laughs> takes 10 seconds before it runs out into this around this little grass island in the lake and it like runs around it and i'm like i there was no there was no second thought i jump after things i go in after things I actually once uh, swam into a Goliath grouper hole and pulled the grouper out, like underwater <laughs> at like three in the morning. Like I go in after my things. Um, so I just launch my phone out of my pocket and I jump in. Now the problem is I jump in in my full jungle gear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm in knee boots and full uh, everything. And um, funny story, I don't, I can't float. I actually sink and I'm a really bad swimmer, which is terrible because I spend all my time on the water. Yeah. So I just start like drowning in this freaking like shit water. Like the water is like brown and nasty and disgusting. And the whole time this fish is like on running around this grass island. I'm like sputtering, coming up and like, like, what am I doing? And I like move myself out. I get around the grass island. And I'm like, okay, it's free. Like, I'm now, like, again, connected to this fish. But I'm just, like, keeping, like, keeping my head above water, right? As I'm, like, reeling this fish in. And fighting. it's, like, running and jumping. And I'm, like, I'm, like, swimming while fighting this fish. So, like, I start kicking back. And I get to a point where, like, my feet are on solid ground. But, like, just my head is above water. Yeah. Like, just, like, <laughs> neck, right? And I have my, above my head, I'm fighting this fish on the rod. And I'm, like... You can't fight it like this. So I don't know why I did this, but I did. <laughs> I just grabbed the line 
opened the bail and like launched my rod back towards shore and like it gets on the shore. But yeah. I'm just holding the line. So it's just me handlining this Eric Hyma. And like, I just like pull it in and it's coming towards me. And I'm like, indexy bar. I'm like, here I go. Now, an uh, Eric Hyma <laughs> looks just like a snook and it looks just like a tarpon. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm like, oh, they're just like them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they have teeth. I'm not saying piranha teeth, but they have teeth. Yeah. And so I just shove my hand into this Eric Hyma's mouth and it bites down. And just cracks my thumbnail in half. And I'm just like screaming yeah. now. Like it's the, it's, if this was on video, it would be the most ridiculous, like funniest, like viral video of all time. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> whole, whole time I'm like neck deep drowning in this like mud. <laughs> and it's, it's going crazy. But like, if, if there's one thing I can give myself credit for is when I grab a fish, I don't let go of that fish. I have like a vice grip. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like kicking myself back with this fish towards the reeds. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, like, I'm like hyperventilating. I'm holding this hair. I'm like, my god, I got it. And then I'm like, I need my shot. So like I like can reach my phone up on the bank and I like set it up. And I go to like take my selfie video. And like it's in a terrible position. And like I can't get a video. And I'm like, damn it. So like I start walking. The whole time this fish is still like thrashing around. Yeah. <laughs> I start walking. I'm like, oh, there's a spot to perch my phone for a video. Um but as I'm walking it shakes the hook out and then throws it. Like I lose contact with the fish and I just instinctively like grab the fish again. Like I just like, like land it like just my hand. And as I'm walking towards it, it does it again. And it's funny because it's on the video. Like you can't see it, but like you can hear what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even acknowledge what I'm doing because I was just on pure instinct at that point. But like this fish is like shaking out of my hands and I'm like, no, come back. And I'm like grabbing it with one hand. And finally, I set it up, and I took that video where you see me, and it's like awful. And I'm like, okay, I got, I got a picture, and then I set it free. So you know, I wanted it to be, you know, I yeah. wanted. It's important that it goes back to me. Um, so I was like, that was just, it was just insane. It was an insane experience. Um, I get out, but the story has like a little epilogue to it because <laughs> I get out of the water, <laughs> and it's the flight has gone on far longer than I thought. And I had left. Remember how I said, like, I had left in a hurry because I was like, oh, well, I didn't leave with a flashlight. Um, I just had my phone and I was stupid. And oh, no. so <laughs> I start walking back um, and it's dark. Like, it's, it's gotten dark now because it had taken longer to like, I was about to leave when the fish ate. So, like, then, like, an extra, like, 25 minutes had happened. And now it's getting dark and it gets dark in the jungle. I don't know how far in the jungle you went, but, like, like it gets black in there and all I have is my phone flashlight and I'm like, Oh my God, like I can't get this trail. I get the trail. I get the trail. I get lost. I get completely lost. Oh, and I'm no. like soaking <laughs> wet. I'm soaking <laughs> wet. Um, and I'm not like afraid of them, but like we literally had caught a Jaguar on a trail cam, like in the general area, oh, like that's cool. 30 days prior. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, taking it that and I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm like, damn, remember that rule where they're like, nobody can go off on their own? And I'm like, and now I went off on my own and I have lost. <laughs> oh, um, man. So I'm like, just squelching my way through the jungle. I finally was able to like look up in the trees and I could see like, I could see an opening in the trees like way that way. And I was like, okay, there's trees everywhere here. So if there's an opening and there's not trees, that's the river. 
There's got to be a river there. So I just walked like as the crow flies that direction over like a million. I probably stepped over like 10 fertilizers and Bushmasters, but as I'm like tramping yeah. through, <laughs> like, which is my phone flashlight. And it's like my phone's on like 18% battery. And I'm like, oh my God. So I get to the river finally and I can follow the river back to our camp because our river, our camp was on the river. And I got back and I shared the, I immediately shared the Arapaima story. And I did not share the fact that I got hopelessly lost on the way back. But yeah, that was. That was one of my favorite experiences ever in fishing. It's really awesome. My my favorite fish of all time is tarpon. And so Arapaima are like this, they're like an exotic tarpon. Yeah. And so to actually go and catch one, freaking amazing. So. Well, and it's like, you didn't just show up and catch it. Like you had to go to war with that fish. Like that, that is probably, that may be. That might be the craziest fishing story anyone's ever told me. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, everybody's a fisherman. You know what I mean? Like everybody's a oh, live fish. Like, you know, we, we exist in the same circles of people. I think uh, at least there's a lot of intersect there. And it's like, you know, you meet a lot of people who are, oh, I'm a diehard angler. A lot of people with a broken, broke dick rod, like three eyelets missing. They're not going to go fishing. It's like, well, my gear's broken. Or a lot of people, when there's high drama at camp, they're not gonna go, they're not gonna be in the mood to go fishing. Or like a lot of people when they when they lost that first payara to another payara, well, my, my fishing trip's over. Or when the fish got wrapped around the grass mat, well, hell, we lost this fish. Like and they're not gonna go in after. Like you broke through so many barriers of difficulty that I know that the reward of holding that fish had to have been. I don't know, man. It's like, those are the moments that I think, I don't know if it, I don't know if you took years off of your life doing that or if you added years <laughs> to it. Oh, it's, I have taken a lot of years off my life. Uh, we're, we'll find out in the end, but it's a uh, in- incredible yeah. story. But uh, I, I mean, know, that's man. the thing though, is that's, that's the sort of adventures that, and, and, and like outdoor adventures that I'm living for at this point that like, I'm, mm-hmm. I, like it, it, it sounds it sounds bad and it sounds elitist and I know this and like I should be thankful for everything but like I don't go snook fishing anymore mm-hmm. and you couldn't pay me to go bass fishing because the kind of stuff that like I've pushed myself to like it's not even to me it's, it's almost not even the same sport at this point like when we do and I, I'm, I'm sure like I'm sure you went over this plenty with Dylan but like when me and Dylan or me and Anton or me and my dad will go do the, the tarpon fishing out of the canoe that's like that's an entirely separate thing. That's like like I actually had earlier this year an 150 pound tarpon jump into my canoe. It jumped in, smacked into my like best friend Anton who's in the front of the, the boat, knocks him backwards. It like slides backwards into the canoe, and I like pick it and like I like get its head and I throw this thing out of the canoe and like <laughs> oh my God. It goes over and we land it. Like I, I can send you that photo of that fish <laughs> or like. Like my biggest ever tarpon, which like I I don't like to put weights on fish because I don't measure yeah. them and I don't want to ever be accused of being like oh yeah I'm the, I'm the same way yeah but this fish is pushing two hundred and like a two hundred pound tarpon is that doesn't happen like it's yeah. very rare these days like a real two hundred pounder um I had no option to land it except that I was in like chest deep water and I grabbed onto it and I held on so hard that it dragged me underwater for 15 feet. Dylan can corroborate this story. He saw my headlamp go under and he watched <laughs> this light go like 
15 feet and also I come up for air like <gasps> like, like this yeah. 200 pounds probably just like throwing me around like literally like it's like a Hulk and Loki in the first Avengers movie where you just like throw him around <laughs> and like like those are the experiences now that I'm living for and I'm trying to push for yeah. I I don't uh like no hate to it like all love all love but like like the whole like fly fishing and like learning like the perfect the perfect little bead that will fool this creature that's not what i'm after i'm after like close combat with like the greatest warriors this planet has to offer and that is that's how i'm doing it you know earlier this summer we had the opportunity to like dig up a giant python from her nest and like i had to like go like i was like a like a vietnam tunnel rat like going through and like slapping this python so it comes out after me so that someone has a chance to grab it you know those are the moments that i'm living for that's why i'm doing this stuff because that was definitely a next like tone of the conversation i was thinking and i've had a couple guys on here who've done incredible things too and it's like you your mind immediately gets to okay like have you set such a high bar that you can even like there there becomes like this perpetual chase now it's impossible to satisfy when when it gets to that le- and some people are like oh no man I can still go fish for bluegill in the pond and then other people are like I I'm, I'm now forever gonna be impossible to satisfy chasing these crazy monster fish so that's what I was wondering but like well I mean you mentioned the tarpon but like how are you staying satisfied here in Southwest Florida I mean you, you you've experienced like the peak or at least I mean near the peak I you, you've experienced these the highs of highs what here locally, you know, cause we're talking about all these traveling the world and do this crazy stuff but mm-hmm. here locally, you're still putting yourself in position to satisfy that need for adventure. So tarpon, for sure. what else? You tarpon's got? the big one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'd say, I'd say tarpon's the big one. And particularly like the way that I do my tarpon fishing, um, for instance, this, this is going to sound so cocky, but like, I hate this. But like I caught last year, I caught about like a hundred forty pounder on my friend's boat. Like it was like a regular, but like doing it the way that everyone else does it. Cause like yeah. I do a very specialized way in my canoe with very specific artificials and like chasing it a certain way. And like I went and did like the normal tarpon thing and I caught a hundred forty pounder. And I, because I have like the, because I have to fight a certain way, I just automatically did it. And I landed this 140 pound tarpon in like 10 minutes. I jumped out of the boat, swam around with it and, and like released it. And I got back and I was like, that sucked. Like, that's what y'all are doing. Like, that's how you guys tarpon fish. Like, like it's like, I hate, I hate it. Like I've pushed myself so far down this, that like even regular tarpon fishing with like a ladyfish just doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm always pushing myself. The tarpon is, it's, it's awesome. Like it's, <laughs> it's really awesome. And my favorite part, um, you can ask anyone I fish with, I will, I will take you out and I will paddle you around to all of my spots. And I will not take a cast the entire night because my favorite part is actually working the canoe, like the physicality of it. Cause like you're that literally, t- I, I know cause I've been on both ends. That takes more difficulty and skill than the person on the rod. And I always, I always insist on landing the fish cause I love that. And I don't land tarpon tired. Um, I think every, I think all of these guides who go out and they play the fish on these dinky little rods and yeah. these these light leaders because it's more sporting. Well, you're exhausting that fish to death. I'm telling you right now. I like you're talking to someone who's landed 
almost 100 tarp and over 100 pounds. And so I know how that works. So I land them as green as possible. Like if as soon as I know I can, I'm jumping out of my canoe. I'm swimming after this fish. I'm grabbing it by the jaw and I'm letting it drag me around until I get a hold on it and I can unhook it. Um, the tarpon is what keeps me going. Um, the other one is the python hunting. The python hunting yeah. is really awesome. Um, the, the python hunting is both, it, this is both keeps me going and drives me insane. There's such an element of randomness to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like a group of kids I know went out uh, earlier this summer. Their first python I ever found was a 17 footer sitting in the road. It was that's I haven't caught a 17 footer out of a hundred plus pythons. And like they're put that randomness level. Yeah. And so like any any python could be the next giant. The world record just got caught this year, and I know the guys who caught it. And it's like there are world record snakes roaming our Everglades. Um mm-hmm. and and 90% of the pythons you go over and you pick them up. There's like a python sitting there. You go and you just grab it. Um, but the big ones, it's a wrestling match. It is a it is a yeah. straight up wrestling match. Um, I've been bit by like 13 foot pythons and you know, have them take a little chunk out of my arm. I earlier this year, I actually funny story. Remember when I said I was like so sick on death's door when I got back from the Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> I had been miserable. I had been sitting in my house alone. All my family was gone. They were out um doing their own things. They were all traveling. So for like five days, I'm like laying on the floor of my room, just miserable sick. If you if you Google, there's a scene in E.T. Um, where E.T. is like like sick and he's like, they uh, find him in the river all I dead. Know what you're talking that's, about. Exactly, all that's exactly what I look like. Uh. Um, and finally, like my, my friend Bill was like, dude, you got to like get out of the house. I don't care what you say. So I got out and we that night was when we caught the biggest python of the summer. And so I'm sick as hell, and they see the snake way out in the in the swamp, its head's poking up, looks like a dog. And mm. Dylan goes for the head grab, he's like, I need help, I need help. So I jump out and I grab it, and it wraps me up. It's so strong that my legs are bound together. And so <laughs> <clears throat> I start like hopping, like a potato sack race, like <laughs> back towards the road oh, with it man. binding me up. And in the process, like I'm so sick, I literally lean over, puke get back up and continue like wrestling this python back towards the road like you just <laughs> I, just I just put myself in these these experiences but the problem is you know straight up like you said it's it's tough and i always got to keep pushing myself i gotta go mm. like i gotta go find king cobras i gotta go i gotta go push myself deeper into the sumatran jungle and see wild orangutans um you know so there's definitely I don't know. There's definitely an aspect of this like endless challenge. I got to keep pushing myself to, but I know that if I keep it up, um, if I keep this up, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and I think I'll have done things that like nobody on earth has done. Oh, like, and I, I, I actually think that. I mean, you've already done things that, I mean, the overwhelming majority of men on or and women, you know, people, Mm-hmm. on this planet or certainly on our continent and our country will never be able to say they've done already. Um, so that's, that's crazy. Well, you know what? I guess as we're getting close to the end of time, I got to pick my kids up from gymnastics in a little bit. You know, you, I love the ambitions, man. And I can tell like your, your, your passion for what you do is like, it's impossible to fake it. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it, 
inspiring or it's like motivating. But then I wonder like, okay, here's a guy that's done these crazy things at home and abroad. So I'm like, what in the hell is he going to be doing next? Do you already have an idea? I mean, like what, what is like the, what's kind of at the forefront of like, man, I think this has to be the next, I think this has to be the next thing. I, so I got a list. I got, I, the problem is, is I got a long list. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, so I, I like studied history and like current events in college. So like I'm well aware of like every country on earth and like every insane thing you can do all over the place. Like, like my bucket list is endless. Um, but the big things I'm looking for now, um, uh, Africa is really big on my, my list. I'm really, I'm really passionate. Uh, I don't have this. I don't know. Like I'm optimistic always. Um, but I think a lot of animals in our life will be disappearing from the planet. So I kind of am planning a lot of my trips around things that might not be able to do when I'm older. So like that was part of my reason for going to see the orangutans. It's like I think they're going to be extinct. Mm. So gorillas in the in the um mountainous jungles of Africa, yeah, that's a big one. And I was just actually saying like researching the Nile perch that live by Murchison Falls right there. Um, that's a big that one on my list as well. Actually, it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that. If you start so if you start considering launching a campaign for that one, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's nice oh. to have an extra set of hands. That's I'll let you one. know, man. I think the, that's the like within ones? that's like within the next two to three that I that I want to do. I think that I actually think the Nile Perch at Murchison Falls is I don't want to say a low hanging fruit, but like that's attainable. Like I mean Oh, it's anyway. it's definitely attainable. Um, but I, I'll say this. I'm I'm gonna put this out so right now so that like maybe ten years from now, if I can look back on this and I wanna know if I pull it off ever. Um <laughs> I kind of consider everything I do in my life as training for the next thing, like we didn't get into it, but like another passion of mine, like I'm really big into lifting. I've worked in gyms my entire yeah. life. So I have this training mentality towards everything, but I have this like unholy Trinity of like the impossible trips that will like push me to my limits. Um, <laughs> I love it. That is, um, that is Papua New Guinea. Um, exploring that like in depth, I believe that's one of the last truly wild places on earth. <laughs> and, um, there's the Papuan black bass, or they got like eight different names for that thing. Yeah, they do. Um, that, that lives there, and that thing looks gnarly. It's like a Kubera snapper that lives in the gnarliest snags you can imagine. They've got a um, hell of a reputation for being brutal fighters from all the international I, guys I've talked. They're not. They're big, but they're not mega. They're not huge. No, but they've got a, quite no. a reputation. So there's that. Um, India, uh, which I put that in the, my impossible charity just because, um, I hate people and there's like 10 bajillion people in India, but seeing tigers in the wild. Um, Ooh. and also there's like the crazy, like Masir fishing and goonch catfish fishing goonch, in the yeah. Himalayas. That's like, that's high. And then like the final boss, like when I'm ready to die and be like, it's like, this is the last thing I do before I settle down and have kids, uh, is like, of course the Goliath tigers in the, uh, Black tiger fish in the Congo, um, which like that's, but like I start like African history is my specialty actually. Uh, like the Congo is just like it's like a nightmare of like political strife and like impossibilities. Yeah. And like I've read, I read three different books. I'm a big reader. I read three different books, including one called Blood River. Um, Blood River was about a guy trying to like traverse the Congo, and like this is like a guy who's like traveled through afghanistan during war times and all these crazy stuff and the guy like just the end of the book it was no like happy conclusion he's like i gave up on my trip and like 
flew out halfway through. I couldn't do it. <laughs> so like, Jeez. that's like the final boss. Well, I'm sure um, you follow David Watmo. He's kind of like the guy in the Congo. He's, that has, oh, like, he's, he's I've, I've actually been talking to him for years. That, that guy's got just enough screws loose to like, they, I don't know, man. It's like the, the, the Congolese kids and communities there love the guy, but he's a wild, oh, wild, it is I a always, wild I, man. <laughs> I always say like, there's some people that like go too far up river, you know, like, I don't know if you see the apocalypse now, but you know, like the further you go down the river, the crazier it gets. And like, I would say that like, I've gone down, I've gone a little, too, I've gone past the point of no return on the river. You know, like, I like this, like, this is not going to end peacefully for me, <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to end up doing some crazy chaotic stuff in my life. But like, that dude is way further down the river than me. He is <laughs> like, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that dude is a legend to he's, me. But he's um, like, you almost people that are on the outside of that place need someone to be a pioneer. And he's the oh, only guy. He's the he's the guy. He's it, he's there. He's it. I've, like, he's I've done a lot of research. It. Yeah. Yeah, nobody else has done it. So that's, but that's, that's like my final boss. Mm -hmm. So we'll yeah. see. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Well, man, like, I don't know. I always kind of close out the same way, but like, you know, people who want to see some of the stuff that you're doing, obviously I, uh, the canoe fishing is near and dear to my heart. I'm a canoe fisherman. So I have like a special appreciation for what you're doing. Big game fishing out of a freaking canoe. A lot of people, it ain't like kayak fishing. Like a canoe is a whole different like element of, checks and like oh, balances yeah. in, in, in a boat is, but as I don't know, man, it's like, it's, there's something primal about it. There's like this getting like tapping into, I don't know, the archaic nature of, or like, you know, ancient man fished out of canoes. It's, so it's, it's, it's as primal as it gets, man. Yeah. It's, it's as like, primal as it gets. It definitely <laughs> speaks to that, but, um, the travel, the wildlife, the giant fish, you know, that, that, uh, it's motivating stuff. So people who want to see these things, what's the easiest place for them to be able to, I don't know, get on social media, check you out, Instagram, whatever you have. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, right now, really, uh, Instagram two, three, nine Tarzan, it's like two, three, nine underscore Tarzan with two ends. Um, but like I post a lot of my stuff up there and it's kind of cool. A lot of people like give me crap. Cause like I, I post a lot on Instagram. But you can scroll through and see pretty much my whole life and like the the evolution of my adventures on there. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. I really like that. I, I'm not gonna like. I would love to try and like get more YouTube or TikTok stuff going. But right now, Instagram's the way um, that I'm doing yeah. stuff. And then if I end up, you know, being able to reach out to any other um, formats, you can find it through my Instagram. But yeah, I'm always posting the pictures. And the videos of all my adventures, all I'm doing. I'm actually not posting much tarpon stuff anymore because I have like a camera roll of like a hundred bajillion photos of tarpon that all look the exact same. So I just kind of stopped yeah. bothering to post them. <laughs> but don't worry, if you go deep enough, you can find like 50 of them. So you'll be fine. <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate your time. Um, we'll probably talk off record since we're both local. I've actually got some ideas on things yet to be tapped into by Florida people that maybe you'd be interested in. We might be able to, we might be able to collaborate in the future on, on neutral ground. Uh, but I got hey, some man, ideas. On I'm, I'm down. I need, I need <laughs> a couple of, I need a couple of hardcore guys to, to be in on something that I know aren't just there to steal ideas. Uh, yeah. some, something, something similar to the sturgeon deal. But, um, anyway, man, listen, let's be in touch and I uh, hope everybody checks you out. I'll put everything up on there, man. Awesome. It was great talking to you, man.
All right, dude, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.boundless-pursuit.com.